You're listening to the Hoffy Coffee Cast with Rhys Bolton and Rhys Jones. The Air Force has publicly changed their story three times about what crashed near Roswell. Now put your hand on the Bible. Swear to God you walked on the moon. In the early 1960s, the CIA began Operation MK Ultra. There's no need to feel guilty. I haven't done anything I'm ashamed of. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hoffa Cast. We talk everything film, TV, video games and conspiracy theories. I'm your host Reese Bolton. And I'm your host Reese Jones. And today we are venturing back to our cases as, as of conspiracy. The last one we did was I think September where we covered uh, the Men in Black. And uh, today we are start, our first case of conspiracy of season four will be covering D.B. Cooper. And this is a uh, uh, conspiracy theory that uh, me and you really wanted to cover Welsh for, yeah. for a while and um, basically you know do some research on it and find out a little bit more it's very very interesting just how this man this unknown man basically changed the American aviation industry forever and like was a hugely impacted the way security at uh, airlines was managed um, uh you know, pre nine eleven and post nine eleven as well, uh, and uh, actually, I, I was going to say this to you in the off, off off recording, but I made like a little bit of um, a kind of intro, case of conspiracy intro that uh, oh, nice. I'll sample to you. I'll send it to you after we're done to see what you think of it. Yeah. Um, so you guys are going to hear it as well. So yeah, yeah, first one. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. say we don't. Um, <laughs> we don't treat you. <laughs> it took me a couple of hours to say that. Um, but because uh, I'm really fussy yeah. in terms of like making intros and stuff like that. Well, no, no, you want it. You want it to be ready when like mm. you think it's ready, isn't it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you, 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 you know, all of you listening, like, you better appreciate it. <laughs> Reese's blood, sweat, and tears went into this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's, it's, it's not a great. It's not. I wouldn't say it's like a. It's not my best intro, but I mean, it's something fun to shuffle yeah. on that. Um, no, it's fun, isn't it? I, I like having sets, some di- sets, different series. Sets the scene, as I say. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's like you know, we do the sort of like the Marvel stuff, and yeah, and as like the our you know the Marvel influenced like fanfare. Yeah, Star Wars one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so yeah, DB Cooper, having DB Cooper today. So you can find Instagram.com slash Hobby Coffee Cast, Facebook at the Hobby Coffee Cast, Twitter at Hobby Coffee Cast. And you can email us at hobbycodecast at gmail.com. Was it .uk? I can't remember. I think it's .com. Uh, and also, please like, share, follow, and or review if you enjoyed this episode. It will help us uh, help us out much, uh, incredibly. So thank you, thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, so let's go straight, straight right into talking about D.B. Cooper. So uh, first question I always like asking you when we start this is, when were you, did you first hear about D.B. Cooper? Like, like, what was your um, earliest memory of, like, knowing about D.B. Cooper? Well, I'm going to be honest. Like, the first time I heard of it was, like, people talking about uh, Loki uh, in the trailer. People, like, immediately cottoned on to the fact that um, Loki dressed in the sort of, like, very, like, uh, dapper and debonair, like, 50s outfit. You know, the sort of, like, um, the black sort of, like, suit and tie with, like, the glasses, slick back hair. And people instantly thought, like, oh, I'm, like, you know, it looks a bit like D.B. Cooper. I was like, well, the hell's D.B. Cooper? And then I sort of like did dig in before the actual show came out. And yeah, it's like, 
I could not believe that I'd never heard of this before. This is yeah. uh, obviously we'll explain everything about like this matter, but it is basically um, is a a sky hijacker. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred thousand dollars in ransom money, and they never caught him. No, no, exactly. It it's um, it's the only it's the only unsolved hijacking case in the history of commercial aviation, and. There were like you know there were I'll talk more about this in terms of historical context, but there were a lot of um, previous hijackings that happened around this time as well. But they obviously the perpetrators were caught, arrested, or you know they knew about these you know these hijackers. But this was one that like literally people were shocked. Like the guy never caught you know the guy came onto a commercial airline, basically you know said I'll go more into it really. Said he had a bomb. Um, basically demanded two hundred thousand uh, uh, dollars, which I think it was equivalent to over like a million today. Um, and basically took some parachutes and parachuted off in the Washington wilderness, and no one's ever seen him again. There have been suspects that uh, prime investigators, federal agents, and other massive conspiracy theorists have uh, looked at over the years, but um, but no, it's 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 still unsolved and um people are fascinated by this really like some some people even see him as a hero some people see him as a criminal so he's got to look about really in um how people perceive it and i remember i remember him at db cooper before but i scrolling through like conspiracy you know, videos and stuff like that i didn't really like pay much attention to it and then I bought, when Loki uh, came out, and this is spoilers for Loki season one, they kind of had a little, um, they kind of looked at like, oh, in the Marvel universe, D.B. Cooper does exist, but it's actually Loki um, who, who uh, you know, does the heist, who is D.B. Cooper. And the reason why I didn't find him was when he jumped out of the plane, the, he was taken by the, by, by the Bifrost back to Asgard. So... I, I loved that. I, I loved how they literally played with the, you know, the kind of the real life kind of case. Yeah. Um, I kind of wish they'd done more though. You know, because like, I think, I think they, they were obviously like doing, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were doing sort of like a, a time travel sort of show, weren't they? So they could have like literally done something fun. But yeah, it was like a little throwaway sort of gag, I guess. <laughs> to show, you know, sort of how like mischievous like Loki is. Like, we don't know really why he wanted that money, like why he demanded, uh, the ransom you just did it i guess i would like marvel to also go like if they go do more period stuff then it, it or more time travel kind of stories then they can look at how like superheroes or how actually inflicted on the events that we know about so for example um uh you know there's a spoilers for x-men days of future past like the reason why magneto is under the pentagon in days expanded if you pass film was because he curved the bullet that went into um jfk so it's this plane on the kind of consp- of the on the kind of the the, the real life con- conspiracy theory and looking at how like superheroes played the role in that so i thought i was really um i thought it's really really interesting but like you know um so yeah let's delve into uh the real life case of db cooper without uh you know Asgard and uh, Bifrost and all that. Uh, 
And I, I've, I, even though that is more interesting than probably what really happens, but you know, we have to look at the, the real life case. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, on the afternoon of November 24th, 1971, it's Thanksgiving Eve, and Thanksgiving Eve is the busiest time. I think it's the busiest time in um, in America for like kind of flights and all that because people are traveling, you know, going home to see their families for Thanksgiving. So, you know, we, you know, you've seen planes, trains, automobiles, uh, and all that. It's uh, you know, Steve Martin's character trying to get get back home for Thanksgiving and all that. Um, so yeah, Thanksgiving Eve, big time for commercial um, aviation. The hundreds of flights, hundreds of passengers boarding these flights, um, and a nondescript man calling himself Dan Cooper. Now, it's interesting why it's called Dan Cooper and DB Cooper. So, the reason why people call him DB Cooper was because it was a journalistic error. Somebody mm. wrote down DB Cooper by accident, and it kind of stuck to it more because the the media were like, "Oh, Dan Cooper's," you know, sounds a bit like you know, okay, it's just typical. You know, everyday person, but DB Cooper does sound a bit more like it's a little bit more, a little bit of like a kind of all thrill to that name. Like it's more of a cool name, so that's why they stuck with it. But um, this nondescript man who called himself DB Cooper, he uh, went to um, the airport in Port in uh, Portland, Oregon, and he approached the counter of Northwest Oriental Airlines. He used cash to buy a one-way ticket on flight 305 bound for Seattle, Washington. Um, and he was aboard a flight from Portland, Seattle. Uh, he threatened to detonate a bomb if he didn't receive a hefty ransom. Once he got the money, the hijack released all passengers and all the crew to fly to Mexico. En route with cash in hand, the man parachuted from the aircraft. This man was known as D.B. Cooper. After a 45-year FBI investigation, well, more than that now, uh, I think I was talking about this is the 57th coming up now. Yeah. Um, his identity, whereabouts, and motives remain unknown. Um, no one even knows whoever he survived the jump at. And he, he remains one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in FBI history. So uh, we'll delve more into kind of like the kind of the actual case, like what happened that day, what happened after. Because it's very fascinating, actually, like that whole kind of event um and you could tell that this man whoever did it was planned this out really really well like this wasn't just a you know a random hijacking it was really planned really really well and uh, it shows this person has had experience of doing this before or has experience of you know learning how to use a parachute and stuff like that as well so um we'll delve into that but I want to start talking about start by talking about the kind of history of commercial aviation hijacking in American Airlines to provide some historical context because you know back in seventies you it's it was it was mad how like easy it was to like get on a plane like well I mean you could smoke on a plane couldn't you yeah you could smoke on a plane you can go and see the pilot during like the the during the flights and stuff like that. Um, you literally just walk onto a plane and just sit down, have as many drinks as you want, etc. etc. Um, it was really just like chilled out, really. But back then, well, it's right about this time where it was it came commercial. So a couple of years, you know, decades before that, only like the you know, kind of well off, and you, you can 
well off afforded flying on planes. And if you can afford it, you can fl- fly on it. It was very, um, it's, it was sort of luxury uh, element to it as well. But then obviously when it became called more commercial and like more you know groups of people were able to use it, then, you know, um, pretty much they got became a case like everybody could start using the airlines and they really didn't have to worry about security really because um because they were they all very much chilled out but um basically then you know something like airlines and stuff obviously people would take advantage of it to, to take advantage of how like you know easy security is or the lack of security and you know basically use them for like horrible means um and um you know, many Americans associate airport security 9-11. Um, it was actually a wave of hijackings in the late 1960s and early 1970s that laid the foundation for today's airport security protocols, and D.B. Cooper is one of them. Uh, during that period, the hijacking occurred... So, during this period, the hijacking occur- occurred, on average, once every five days globally. Um, I don't know what I obviously it's it's a lot less now compared yeah. to that, but like one every five days globally. Wow, yeah, that you know, what's that? That's like 365 days divided by five. I, I don't mean no, it's, it's roughly over 300 anyway. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at 73. Is it 73? Is it? Oh my god, yeah. so, so 73 uh hijacks um a year, but that's a lot. Um, that's globally as well. So, you know, um, the US dealt with his own spat of high mile high crimes, convincing reluctant government officials and airport executives to adopt the first important airport security protocols. So the first airplane hijacking uh, ever, you know, the first one ever in history happened in 1931 in Peru. Um, armed, rev- armed revolutionaries approached the grounded plane of a pilot, Brian Richards, and demanded that he fly them over Lima, so they could drop propaganda leaflets. Richards refused, and a 10-day standoff ensured before he eventually released. So from this, this hijacking wasn't really like violence. You, you can see from that. They basically were like, yeah. yeah, we want to drop off propaganda leaflets. Um, and you know, it's very anti-government kind of, you know, um these anti-government people, revolutionaries, and they, they dropped propaganda leaflets as a way of um you know, turning the turning the kind of the you know the part the people, the citizens, the civilians against the government, and that happened in World War Two. Like you know, um, I think American Airlines and British Airlines, they uh, not American warplanes and British warplanes, they dropped like um, propaganda down on the you know the German streets, trying to you know basically turn the German people against the Nazi regime and all that. Because yeah, you know, the idea is like you know, if you turn the the people against the um, the regime, then that regime is fighting on two sides. Really, they're fighting. You know, they you know once you see uh, lose the support of the more support of the people, then the cracks start to kind of open. Mm. Um, that's happened. That's happened throughout history. Um, but in um, that remained a somewhat isolated incident. It's nothing happened really before until the 1940s and 50s when several people hijacked airplanes to escape from Eastern Europe to the West. And that quite happens well. People, you know, the West, uh, West, Eastern Europe was very different to Western Europe. And people wanted to kind of escape from the clutches of, so, you know, 
the Soviet regime and you know go to yeah. more vibrant, developed mm. West, really. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, sort of flying sort of digs into this sort of like idea that it's quite unnatural, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. I suppose, like, being in a car, you can sort of you can rationalize it because at least you're near the ground, you know, and, and you know, sort of like you're going fast, but you know, you can run fast, so your mind can focus on that but you kind of dissociate when you're on a plane right yeah um, yeah you sort of you you do get those really weird moments of realization where you think you know i'm going at i'm stuck in a metal tube falling through the air at hundreds of miles per hour you do and then and then you think then like shit you know you're trusting someone that you don't know you know and you know, say like a hundred or so other people are like also trusting like this these pilots to do like their job, you know, perfectly. It's really weird, right? So then you can see where the sort of like fear of yeah, you know, like something like you know technical failures or um, you know, some, something like being like sort of like hijacked or you know, sort of yeah, anything to do with like terrorism no. uh, more recently. Do you know what actually? Uh, when I one of my smallest fears but like especially on well not, not much on an airline but like it's actually quite straight it's quite, it's quite funny so when you go underwater i don't know yeah. why but like you know when you take the Euro, i don't know if you ever take the eurostar but like it goes under the sea yeah, yeah. under the channel and i always yeah. have this fear that like it's gonna like the water's gonna break through and then flood. Yeah, the, yeah. Flood the tr- yeah. I'm touching words right now just by saying. No, that, that's saying that. that's a moment of realization. Yeah, you're because right. it's like, oh right, okay, we're on a train yeah. in a tunnel under yeah. the, under the water. Yeah. If that breaks through, we're literally dead. Like you know, it's. <laughs> I you know I I do think that, but I, I you know I do that's, still enjoy my little Eurostar journey, tunnel, but, but um, like you know, goes yeah. underneath the English Channel, which separates um, Dover, which is in England, to um, France um yeah and it's kind of like you you literally when i was a kid i i thought there would be windows so you could see like fish and shit outside in the sea you know like air, air travel kind of had yeah like this sort of like romantic sort of element to it you know pulling back to sort of like um the the event in question um it still seems quite romantic right the actual sort of like hijacking of um this seven two uh 727 i think it was yeah 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 but boeing 727 um you, you know because db cooper like didn't harm anyone you know and, and by all accounts he was quite um peaceful i mean you know he threatened that he, he had a bomb on his, pos- well, on, on his possession uh, let, let me we'll touch on that actually I, yeah i'm yeah. still talking about historical um oh yeah historical context um so there yeah exactly there is like obviously people used it as kind of refugees or like for political reasons as well you know so you, you see in there you know kind of start seeing a theme here about like yeah you know, hijacking's been used kind of like for political reasons people escaping somewhere or you know people trying to use them to drop um you know kind of like politically kind of like you know influential material um so in the context of uh, the Cold War, Western governments granted these hijackers political asylum. Um, importantly, none of the airplanes hijacked were flown by US carriers. They were all <laughs> like, the, you know, maybe Russian carriers or uh, you know, European carriers, etc. 
So, but in the beginning of the early 1960s, um, hijackers actually began targeting U.S. airlines. Most of these individuals were Cubans living in the U.S. who, for one reason or another, wished to return to their native land or were otherwise blocked due to U.S. embargo against Cuba. So people turned to, you know, the, the new socialist land of Castro in Cuba, uh, wanting to um, probably flee from the you know, stick of capitalism and return to their home. But that, you know, that's like, you know, that's when the U.S., when you're U.S., you're, you're, you're like, okay, this is very, you know, why are Cubans hijacking American planes to take, to take them back to Cuba? Um, so about you know the wave security around there as well, and there was you know the sixties, you know this was around the time of um, Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So Cuba was a big, big kind of threat to um, the American democracy and society at the time. Uh, so U.S. officials responded by officially, specifically making hijacking a federal crime, um, and they introduced this new law. So the new law didn't stop hijackings altogether. The crime, the crime remained relatively rare. When they did occur, they usually didn't involve much violence. The officials wanted to downplay hijackings as much as possible, and the best way to do this was to simply give the hijacker what they wanted to avert a loss of life. So it's you know peas into kind of like you know the you know the kind of the threat, the hijacker. You know you don't lose uh, you don't lose lives, so you you know to try and avoid uh, bloodshed. You want to you know they have demands. You have to basically give to us demands. The same way, like if some holds up a bank and stuff as well. You know they're like, oh, we got hostages inside. We're going to shoot them. Yeah. We get what we want. Um, you know, watch Die Hard and stuff. You know, Agrippa's um, character. They want this money, and if they, you know if. Uh, if they don't get the money or was it or you know the release of their kind of like radical revolutionary um allies then there were sausage hostages so you know it's all about losing it's all about like you know the american governments and the federal you know federal agencies and stuff they you know losing money is one thing but losing lives and you know the media will go you know look at you know the loss of lives involved in like um you know, like a hostage situation, be like, okay, they'll blame the kind of, you know, the agencies because, you know, the police, American police, the American government, the agents, federal agencies are there to protect American people, you know. Um, mm. And then you, it becomes this thing about like, well, it's, it's money more important, important than the the life of, uh, of a person, but that's like something completely different. <laughs> and I'll go off on a tangent talking about that. But like... Um, yeah, so basically, they wanted to avoid as much bloodshed as possible. Um, above all, airport executives, airline executives, wanted to avoid deterring people from flying, so they resisted the implementation of anxiety-inducing security protocols. So they thought, okay, if we start showing them these security protocols, people are going to be like, oh, you know, I don't like this. It'll, it, they'll give it they'll develop like an anxiety about flying because you know like we take the train and stuff like that we don't go for security protocols at all and that's one of the kind of you know nice things about living in this country is that you know you don't have to go anywhere while constantly being fit you know worried, worried about you know a bomb going off every five seconds you know it's you know it's, it's not like like bad dad or anything like that um but but you know, back then, you know, people were seen flying as like a luxury thing, like you know, actually said the romanticization of it and yeah. the term, 
you didn't, the airport airlines didn't want to turn around and be like, look, hold on, you're going to have to go have your bags checked. You're going to have to go through security mm. scans and all that. And people be like, well, hold on, I don't want to do this. Yeah. You know, like... Well, you know, the sort of like privacy aspect, wasn't it? You know, it is, yeah. Why, why would yeah. you want to look in my bag? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, um, it is really fun to look at, yeah, like sort of like how much it's changed and um, the whole sort of how how easy it is to, to sort of romanticize, especially how the sort of like experience was on a plane then. Yeah, I've changed in 1968. On the 23rd July of 1968, members of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine hijacked an El Al flight from Rome to Tel Aviv. Though the 39-day ordeal ended without any loss of life, it ushered in a new era of more violent, often political-motivated hijackings of international airlines. So it start these kind of hijackings start becoming a bit more political, and there's a little bit of elements of violence into it, which starts alarming these the airline kind of companies mm. now and uh, so from 1968 to 1974 u.s airlines experienced 130 hijackings many fell into this new category of politically motivated hijackings including what become known as the Dor- dawson's field hijacking so dawson's field hijacking in september 1970 the popular front for liberation of palestine again hijacked four aircraft, including three belonging to U.S. carriers, and forced them to land at Dawson's Field in Libya. No hostage lives were lost, but the hijackers used explosives to destroy all four aircraft. I don't know why. So basically, they were all stuck there uh, <laughs> in Libya. Um, additionally, and more wiring to U.S. officials, two different groups of hijackers, one in 1971 and another in 1972, threatened to crash planes into nuclear power plants. Oh, here we go. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it starts escalating now. Uh, so, Cooper wasn't the first person to hijack the American airline to demand money. The, the map belong, oh, 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 on the belongs to Arthur Barclay. So, frustrated with his inability to get government officials to take seriously his dispute with the IRS, as, you know, we all have issues with the with uh, tax, you know, of our lives. So on June 4th, 1970, Bar- uh, Barclay hijacked a TWA aircraft demanding $100 million and a hearing before the US Supreme Court. Barclay's efforts failed, and it, uh, rather than escape and successfully live a life, you know, free with all his money, he ended up confined to a mental institution. So he wasn't as lucky as D.B. Cooper. So from, from that, we kind of get an idea about it's kind of torn between starts you see in kind of more politically motivated and destructive kind of violence hijackings and you see this kind of this side increase in airline airline but airlines basically realizing okay we may have to start doing something and the US government realizes okay we can't we need to start looking into this more seriously uh now and that leads to events of November fourth nineteen seventy one so DB Cooper or Dan Cooper back then, just um, he was described as a white male, six foot one, weighing 170 to 175 pounds, age mid 40s, olive complexion, brown eyes, black hair, conventional cut, parted on the left. That's a big description, and we've got an image of um, uh, posted on the Instagram uh, page of what DB Cooper looked like from uh, eyewitness kind of. You know eyewitnesses of what he looked like um on the flight from obviously 
the victims. Uh, Cooper was a quiet man who appeared to be in his mid-40s wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt. So whilst he was on this flight, he ordered a drink, bourbon and soda, while the flight was waiting to take off. So, you know, you get an idea with the DB Cooper that there's like a gentleman aspect of him. He's not like a... You know, you, do you know when you like there's I, people say this idea of like two different types of criminals? You kind of got like you know the kind of rough kind of criminal, and then you kind of got the more gentlemanly kind of suit and tie criminal. Yeah, well, he seems a sort of like white white collar sort of criminal. Doesn't yeah, he? Sort of, yeah. I don't know the one that would sort of like commit like I don't know tax fraud. Yeah, over, yeah, over yeah. Like burglaries, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 like the one that it's like you know still tries to mean elegant to the victims and stuff like that. It's yeah. not like you know kind of like the bloodthirsty, like you know, yeah. kind of savage yeah. kind of um, you know, <laughs> hostage taker yeah. stuff like that. You, you know, know, like the, the idea of the sort of like mustache twirling like villain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like a turtlenecked like cat bird. Yeah, or definitely like a, like like a Bond villain kind of type, yeah. isn't it? Really. Yeah. There's some sort of like me to talk Goldfinger. <laughs> After the barn, they expect you to die. Yeah, so it's a bit it's That's basically my, uh, like that. Erwin Goldfinger for that. Yeah, yeah, go Goldfinger. Actually, no. He's such a literally like the guys. He's got. I love that character. He's he's obsessed with gold. Like since a very yeah. young age. Yeah, it's just. Um, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, awesome. Have you ever had the bourbon soda? No, um, I mean. I'm quite like, I, I mean, I'm definitely like an old man, sort of like, you know, in my head anyway, but I'm really particular about how I have like whiskey. Like I don't touch bourbon, uh, bourbon rather, as, as a rule. I just yeah. don't like bourbon. But then I kind of like having bourbon sort of just like with ice. Yeah. I never yeah, like mix yeah, it yeah. with anything. I know. I, I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. I, really so, don't, yeah. I, I, I couldn't drink it all the time though. Like, oh no, no. No. Um, so, a short time after 3, 3 p.m., whilst on the flight, he handed the stewardess that came along a note indicating that he had a bomb in his briefcase and wanted her to sit with him. So, also around the time, the stewardesses were kind of seen as they were very sexualized, weren't they? Um, yeah. Well, they were sort of object, objectified. Yeah, yeah. So, the stewardess probably had so many notes before by, like, you know, male kind of passengers, you know, who were like, oh, I think you're attractive and beautiful, etc. Yeah. The this one, you know, she's probably the first time she ever read one. It's like, oh, typical. Oh, this guy's obviously good at, uh, written a, a note saying he finds you attractive. Open it. I've got a bomb <laughs> in my big yeah. face. And I'm quite in the set, set off. And she's like, oh, shit. Um, so basically, his demands were, okay, sit, sit with him. And I think she sat with him in order to, Maybe not arouse suspicion. Yeah, um, I'm like trying to like if because she read it and then she was like, "Oh my god, he's got a bomb!" Then obviously, well, um, you know, if, if she like, you know, she could have like escaped, isn't it? You know, and like obviously he wanted mm. her in his clutches. So you know, I, like, control, isn't it? He he's the one in control. Yeah, of I don't think that was his actual bomb. I think it was just it looked like he he, he must have done it to look like it was a bomb. Like I yeah, don't think yeah. he was going to blow up a, a, a plane. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so, you know, if if there was a bomb, yeah, you know, like he, he what he took the bomb with him. Yeah, exactly. What, what did he do? Like, did he dispose well, of the bomb later? Yeah, on? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, exactly. I, don't, yeah, I, don't I, 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 I don't think it was an actual bomb. I think, but obviously, 
if you're the students, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to see Vesta Will Bond. Straight away, you're going to be like, hold on, I'm not going to start yeah. messing with this guy. So yeah. your students... But, you know, it, yeah. I think it's like, it's just Schrodinger's bomb at this point. Yeah, it? yeah, exactly, exactly. It is simultaneous not a bomb and it yeah. is a bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so basically, um, let's have a look here. So the stewardess did, as she was told, opening a cheap attaché case, attaché case. Cooper showed her a glimpse of a mass of wires and red-coloured sticks and demanded that she write down what he told her. Soon she was walking to work, uh, walking a new note to the captain of the plane that demanded four parachutes and two hundred thousand in twenty-dollar bills. And one of the questions people ask is why? Why four parachutes? Well, the reason. He asked for parachute is that so they could if they asked for one parachute then they'll be like okay let's uh let's sabotage this parachute you know mm. so you know so he asked for port parachutes because I think he knew that they were end up going to sabotage in the parachute so you know just just you know just so he has some extra in case you know, well you know he, he could force you know people to parachute with him yeah so and then at that point yeah. you're like well. If you sabotage yeah. all of those parachutes, then <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're condemning yeah. innocence to death, yeah. isn't it? So yeah, it's exactly. pretty clever. Yeah, so it's yeah. a pretty um, yeah. nifty little way of like, haha, you know, I I will get away with my yeah. my my scheme. Dustly <laughs> pan. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, to, so yeah, got... why is DB Cooper turned into Dirk Dastardly from um, <laughs> Wacky Races? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's up to his old tricks again. Old yeah. Old where's um? Where's the the dog? Is it Mutley? Like, <laughs> see, like the dog, like when he like laughs. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Damn it! It's like, uh, do you remember Doctor Evil from Professor Gadget? And like he he always gets forced by. No, it's, it's Doctor Claw. It's Doctor Claw from Doctor Evil. Doctor Evil from. I always get I always get confused in the talk. Yeah, but like Doctor Claw is like you gadgets. Yeah. Next time, and then next time he he says the same thing again. And it becomes like a cycle of Dr. Yeah. Paul not or like um... Team Team Rocket from uh, Pokemon, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, the flight landed in Seattle. So basically, the, the you know the hijack exchange of flights for six passengers for the money and parachutes. So they realize, okay, we don't want to have the the passengers involved in this as well. So um, he basically said to rather than Seattle, basically said, "Look, I've got a bomb. Give me two hundred thousand pounds and four parachutes, and I'll let the passengers go." So he let the passengers go, but he kept several crew members, you know, as kind of like yeah, you know, leverage, isn't leverage it? and stuff. And so obviously they couldn't go in and like take him down or do anything like that because he, you know, they couldn't go in such, you know, try and take a shot at him because he had, you know, leverage. So he kept several crew members and the plane took off again. He ordered it to set a course for Mexico City. Mm. So um, somewhere and actually remember this they didn't have enough fuel to actually go to mexico city as well so i think they what they did is they had to refuel the plane before they set off um so somewhere between seattle and reno a little while after 3 8 p.m the hijacker did the incredible he jumped out of the back of the plane with a parachute and the ramp and the ransom money so he basically asked the um the the crew members like he lowered the kind of plane with the stairs for example you know the, the part where like you can open the door and get the stairs out and stuff like that um, so ah oh, it's like um air stairs or something like yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I did look uh, it yeah, up. yeah yeah uh the pirates landed safely but Cooper disappeared into the night and his ultimate fate remains a mystery to his day so talking about this and they actually said that he was 
quite a gentleman throughout the whole thing. Like, except for threatening them with a bomb. Yeah, apart <laughs> from that, them hostage. But, but but also, <laughs> do you know that he actually paid for his drinks? Because he he drank three more. I think he drank three bourbon and sodas throughout the whole the whole event, and he paid for them. <laughs> Um, I think that's quite clever, though, because, you know, yeah, like maintaining the sort of facade that, you know, he's he's not crazy. You know, yeah. he's paying for his drink. So, oh, yeah, people, people like on board, you know, obviously terrified at this point of the situation. They'll probably will they pick up on that? You know, it's a little thing, but it might sort of, you know, calm them, which obviously plays into his hands because he doesn't want yeah. them, you know, like um, becoming desperate or becoming sort of like. Um, frightened and doing something which you know, is, will cause his plan to scupper i guess yeah so he yeah. wants them calm doesn't he so doing yeah. any sort of little thing like that but yeah like it obviously comes across as very dignified very gentlemanly it's very strange but you know hey he kept on drinking his whiskey I, I, um, I think he i think he paid it by his own money not the money he took yeah yeah this is quite funny actually um Lord. How much that bourbon sodas? How much he, he we got down to like nineteen thousand nine hundred and I don't know, maybe fifty or something like that. I don't know how much bourbon sodas cost back then. Um so yeah, basically disappeared into the night. So he's gone and into the Washington wilderness, never to be seen again. Um and that's no one knows, but that's the last everyone saw DB Cooper. Mm-hmm. So so I want to talk about the actual case to find Hunting Cooper. Uh, the FBI learned of the crime in flight and immediately opened an extensive investigation that lasted many years. So they called it, they called it a Nordjack, so Northwest hijacking. Uh, they interviewed hundreds of people, uh, tracked leads across the nation and, and scoured the aircraft for evidence. Um, so throughout these... Um, um, throughout the five year, first five years of the incident, they interviewed more than 800 suspects. Uh, Cooper taking his ransom note back from the flight attendant, so investigators were un- unable to examine it. Ah, uh, yeah. And I think she wrote down the second note that she gave to the cap- the pilot. So if he wrote his note down, then they could have used yeah. that. But obviously, she wrote it, so it was yeah. her writing. That was um, that was big in sort of like forensic analysis. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's gone out of the window now. It, it was um, almost like a pseudoscience. It's called graphology. So okay. it's sort of like um, you know, examining sort of like people's handwriting. Obviously, picking up on idiosyncrasies. You know, like how you loop sort of letters or how you you know just how you write. You know, looking for similarities yeah. and obviously yeah. hoping that they could catch him. But yeah, um, this was quite. They wanted to push this, so obviously, yeah, they wanted to use this as sort of evidence, maybe because um, they were sort of like different schools of writing. So, obviously, if you wrote something a certain way, someone can identify, you know, oh, he went to sort of like this school because they teach handwriting this way. Mm. So, obviously, nowadays, it, you know, writing is so extant and so like, um, uh, like bifurcated, I guess. Anyway, that's my word of the day. That's um, that you know, it doesn't really work. Yeah, and that's also why um, if you write, send a letter to people yeah. as well, what like we like you know, kind of like serial killers or whatever, send send any evidence. <laughs> it's through le- le- newspaper newspaper words, isn't it? Yeah. Like letters. I love those so much. Yeah, or like the um, say if like they have like um, like, um, 
they kidnap someone and they and they get the hostage to hold up uh, the day's newspaper. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I love because now that that seems sort of like um uh I wouldn't say cliche. It seems quite dated, isn't it? Because it's like oh, you know, they're forced to hold up the day's newspaper. But, um... but they knew they knew about like about this new new obviously new developments inside in how like you can track whose kind of handwriting is. Yeah. So they learned about that, and that's why they're doing mm. stuff like that. Because well, it's well maybe how to... he wrote, how, how yeah. he wrote, you know, or like different ways he, your punctuation, or like the way like someone writes, because that's how they caught um, the Unabomber. Was um, yeah, um, the Unabomber's brother identified the handwriting in like the manifesto the the Unabomber released as his brother's work, because he was um, the Unabomber was an academic in university. Yeah. So and he and he recognized his brother's like the, you know the idiosyncratic way that this man wrote. So yeah, like any anything to sort of like you know indicate that oh it's so and so, you know that DB Cooper is actually what's his face. Um, but pivoting on sort of like there's um there were some sort of like ideas of who DB Cooper was, right? Yeah, I've got quite a lot actually. Yeah. Here. Um. Yeah. Uh. And also the. So, do you want to talk about the suspects a bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I think the biggest one I'm looking for is Richard Floyd McCoy. Is that yeah. uh, one that you think you've uh, mm. found out about? So, Richard Floyd McCoy is arguably the suspect who looks most like the police sketch and also has his yeah. plain jacket. So, five months after five, uh, sorry. Uh, five months after the DB Cooper incident, McCoy attempted a similar stunt on a flight between Newark, New Jersey, and Los Angeles, with a stopover in Denver, Colorado. The major difference was this time a hand grenade was used instead of a briefcase. Oh wow, a bomb! And he demanded the, the highest the highest sum of five hundred thousand dollars. He was caught, and in the Raiders' home, official FBI records state they found skydiving equipment. An electric typewriter with impressions matching those on the typed hijacking instructions. Ooh. And $499,970,000. So he used up $30 of that. Um, So in June 1973, McCoy was convicted of aircraft piracy despite his pleas of innocence. He was given a 45 year sentence. His appeal was denied in December of that year. In an ever-growing line of cursed D.B. Cooper suspects, which we'll talk, talk further about, McCoy died in a shootout with police after escaping jail in 1974, but he never claimed to be D.B. Cooper. So this guy was one of the, um, the FBI's biggest kind of, you know, People they believe that was DB Cooper, but the man obviously never claimed to be DB Cooper. Um, but he he looks like he had, um, he managed to successfully do another high, do a hijacking. So which kind of get, gets the idea that he's done this before. He's had a history of playing jacking. Yeah, he looks like the suspect. The police sketch. I don't. I don't know how common that face, the face of DB Cooper is. But obviously, because he's wearing sunglasses, it's quite well, hard. Y- yeah. Um. I mean, you y- you know, it's it's an impression of someone. You know, it's not an, a photograph, is it? It's no. a, a police sketch. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. But I think you know you could pull out some sort of like very distinct, um, unique features, sort of like the high, sort of like uh. 
the high hairline, um, mm. the sort of like the small sort of like pinched almost nose, and the sort of like very um, almost like aesthetic sort of like very like slim sort of like head. You know, so yeah, like I can see why people wanted to sort of make out that Richard McCoy was the yeah. So um, it was initially believed that Cooper was about Scar's guide diver, perhaps a power trooper. Um, but then further analysis found that he was likely no expert. So you don't know. And obviously, this was 1971, Vietnam War nearly finished. So you know, you kind of got like, is this person? Is this DB Cooper a Vietnam vet? Or like a V, you know, a Vietnam soldier uh, on leave. So you know, there's there's a there's huge kind of like uh, ideas. Um, another one to talk about is uh, Robert uh, Rackstraw. So in the Netflix documentary DB Cooper, Where Are You? Robert Rackstraw becomes one of the most prominent suspects in to both the production team and those investigating the case. His history is a bit blurred, but it's been confirmed that he served as an army pilot, like profilers of Cooper suggest he was. He also had previous connections to the CIA, but was discharged from the army in 1971, five years before the plane jacking. He died in 2019, but during his life has been charged with fraud and attempted to steal a plane. When that plan was discovered, he made attempts to fake his own death. While he was eliminated from official investigations in 1979, Raxall became the central suspect of slew Thomas J. Corbett and Tom Sloloshi, who later wrote a book that him has D.B. Cooper in 2016 titled The Last Master Outlaw. Raxall later went on to record to say the risk game cost him his job, and upon presentation of a photo of Raxall, the air stewardess who had close interactions with Cooper said that they had the wrong guy he was also much younger than the approximately 40-year-old that was described. Despite being hounded by sleuths who had pinned him as the most likely D.B. Cooper suspect, and being offered 20 grand up front if he missed it, <laughs> uh, Rackstall went to his grade denying that he was a famed skyjacker. He spent the last years of his life in San Diego, California, with his boat named Poverty Sucks. So, that's the thing. There is a lot of the evidence I find and the kind of the ideas of who D.B. Cooper looked like doesn't seem to be really exact, does it? It seems to no. be like, and they're, they're, pin, they're pinning it on this guy. And it obviously, this is one, you know, this is one of the examples of like, you know, suspects who probably never done everything they did, you know, never involved in the crime, but then they lost their job and their life changed because people were like, okay, this guy is D.B. Cooper. Um, that's the thing. He never went the greatest thing. DB Cooper, um, and I mean, there is kind of like you could say about oh, he's discharged from the army. Uh, maybe he, the, if he was DB Cooper, the hijacking was a way of him trying to you know get money. Maybe he was like really poor at the time, struggling financially, and this you know hijacking was a way of him to um, to get money. Uh, but he did try and t- uh, take a plane, but was um, discovered. Um, but yeah, you got yeah. As I said earlier about his, you know, kind of his connections to the army and the CIA, uh, uh, he he, uh, he he fought in Vietnam as well. Um, you just never know. Uh, there's there's always like the kind of like the, the motives, like why would it, why would somebody why would someone like Robert Rackstraw hijack a plane, you know? 
Um, because you think about it, it's like it's it's really it's a lot, and there's always a risk of something happening, and that person's got to be like dedicated to do something like that. Um, so you you know it's always a question like what is the motive, and I think that's one of the things that people really struggle to find a reason for why DB Cooper, because obviously you need to find, if you you have to find the motive why someone would do that, you got to look at the person, the suspect. Um, have you heard of uh, Dick Briggs Welsh? Um, the name has come up, but I haven't read his sort of. Okay, like... okay. This this guy yeah. is very is interesting. So Dick Briggs, he was a cocaine dealer, and he actually claimed he was DB Cooper in the years for the Skyjacker. Oh, so he yes. he went to bars and basically was like, yeah, you know, I'm DB Cooper. Oh, let me buy a round for everybody. You know, this is all the money. You know, I worked. You know, this is the God money I've got from thingy. Yeah, he would go to parties and stuff, and he would speed the guys. It's, it's nothing to do with um, the cocaine bit, by chance. Is it? Probably is. Yeah, <laughs> but he's just probably. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if he's using him being a hijacker as a front, that's kind of. I don't know what's worse: being a hijacker, or being a cocaine dealer. Um, <laughs> you know, what's worse: uh, hmm. selling selling grams worth of coke or stealing grants worth of money from uh, an airline um so ron carlson uh ron carlson who spoke on camera about his belief so ron carlson was this um, guy who basically went to the feds and basically said look i know who db cooper is and this is dick bricks guy and he was on the doc- documentary as well uh he believed that briggs was a real culprit back in 2011 and he said that he made claims to him and he announced that a hippie-looking couple at, at the party, they were both at, later find some of the money, and we'll talk about that. So in the documentary, he basically says, look, he says to um, to um, Ron Carlson at, his, at this kind of party, he said, oh, I'm D.B. Cooper. And Ron Carlson's like, okay, prove it. You know, why D.B. Cooper? And Dick Briggs says, you know that couple over there? He's looked at it's just this couple of hippie-looking couple. He said, "Okay, they are, uh, they're moving into his, you know, to his, to his land, and they are going to find my money." And so, apparently, later on, the couple found the money on the same land hmm. that he mentioned about. And you realize, okay, how does this guy know about this? So, it raises kind of questions. Um, yeah. So the the Ingrams. Um, to Carlson believed to be a couple, found around seven grand worth of the stolen cash while at a beach. However, he was eventually uh, Dick Briggs was eventually ruled out because he emerged that he had falsified his involvement in the Vietnam War and with his ability to parachute. So he didn't actually he couldn't actually parachute. So surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise, yeah. Um so he died in a bizarre car accident in Portland. Oregon in 1980, people saying it was, um, he was uh, basically, it was a hit. Somebody uh, wanted to have him killed. Really interesting. Um, he was 41 years old and associates continued to suspect foul play. So in the world of the war on drugs in um, America, he he was killed and it could have been related to drugs, to be honest. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think there's unless Unless this wider conspiracy that he was targeting, maybe because he knew information about DB Cooper, you, you know. So the questions there, um, 
another person uh we can talk about another person is uh duane weber so mm-hmm. 1975, 1995, Joanne Weber announced on his deathbed, I'm Dan Cooper, the real name used by the Skyjacker. And as I said, the, the alias D.B. Cooper was used by mistake by reporters in the immediate aftermath of the heist and stuck ever since. Uh, because of this, his wife, Joe didn't make the connection until months later. So when he announced he's Dan Cooper, everyone was like, okay, this guy says Dan Cooper, and then Joe realized, actually, well, hold on, that wasn't Dan Cooper, the guy that, that put, his, put his name down, Dan Cooper, when he bought a ticket in, um, yeah, in Portland. So she basically, she basically, so following the discovery, certain other pieces of information, like a long held knee injury he claimed was from a plane jump, started to make sense to her. We were also <laughs> physically matched to a composite drawing made by the FBI. However, there's been no major evidence to corroborate this claim, and despite the discovery of a hidden criminal past, nothing but circumstance and the confessions attached to Weaver to Cooper. Hmm. Um, um, I think it's it's kind of easy to think, you know, what people will do with these sort of like, you know, this kind of trying to assert that this someone is the actual, you know, yeah whatever the real culprit you know it doesn't matter if it's db cooper if it's someone is the real culprit is that what someone will do is you know they'll discover sort of like a likely candidate and then purposely sort of pick out you know cher- cherry pick these details that fit you know and or if you know they'll make them fit the story and then obviously when they look deeper into the story they'll find oh you know actually you know maybe it wasn't this fella you know it's sort of like these holes in the story start coming up and then, you know, they, they'll sort of look for a new sort of like culprit. Um, exactly, and um, I think it's, it's confirmation bias as well. You yeah, know, it's like yeah, someone yeah, wants, yeah. especially you know, these like investigators will sort of pick out someone, and you know, they they want the kudos of, of being the ones to solve you know the, the, this great mystery around DB Cooper. You know, they they want the kudos. You know, so they will sort of even pull out like a new sort of culprit who isn't really marred by you know discussion or criticism you know so that they can bring something almost new to the t- to the the table to the argument yeah and seem almost unsullied by you yeah, know like existing yeah. yeah um existing sort of um oh, dialogue i guess within yeah. sort of like the conspiracy theory but you know it's i, I think people are missing the point i think it doesn't really matter, I think, that, you know, oh, this fella is D.B. Cooper. We need to, you know, put this to bed. The idea, you know, this this man, at this point, you know, what was it, 51 years ago, when, we're not going to find out who he was definitively. No, you know? no, because... We can um... obviously look into it, I think, as much as possible. And, and these, um, you know, sort of like armchair historians will look at, like, the stories and try and fit together the pieces. You know, almost like broken pottery you know and, in like uh, an archaeological site exactly and it seems like a jack the ripper like if you find out who actually did it yeah i mean but then yeah. the, you know, the, the the idea was there's no justice because that person's dead now and probably the same with yeah. db cooper but well, what makes this interesting yeah yeah if i compare this to um i compare this to like i don't know another, other conspiracies in the past and stuff it's like okay 
this could have been really anybody. This could have been somebody because all you had to do was have a knowledge of you know hijacking and having a parachute. Yeah, yeah, which could have been quite a lot of people. And again, this is during the time of the Vietnam War, so soldiers are leaving Vietnam and all that. So you know, it could be anybody with kind of military training. And then previously you had the Korean War and World War Two, etc. Et um, so this is somebody around that from military. There's a lot of people in the military this time have got have got experience of you know maybe you know being a power trooper and all that. Mm. So they kind of so when someone comes around and says, "Okay, I'm Dan Cooper," everyone's like, "Okay, let's investigate it," because rather than be people being be believing like, "Okay, straight away he's he's lying," yeah, he's not Dan Cooper. Mm. It could be yeah. because people don't know, like the kind of suspects. That's why they've interviewed eight hundred people. Yeah, yeah. Because anyone could have been like it. Like yeah. I'm looking at an example of like the 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 the, prin- the prisoners, the twins, not the twins, twins, the princes in the tower oh, during yes, the Wars yeah, of Roses. Yeah. yeah, like it, it's going to be somebody that's like works in the Tower of London or is you know works in the court of Richard yeah. the Third. Well, if well, you get this random peasant yeah. in like Nottingham who's like, oh, I did it, you're like, oh, yeah, obviously not because yeah. it's a random well, peasant. Like it's it's like this though. Yeah. So so you know we discover sort of like say skeletons or like within the tower of london right yeah you know and and they they analyze it and it turns out yeah they were sort of like uh pre-adolescent you know like and they were male it doesn't mean that they are the princes yeah you know it's just obviously i think it's just confirmation bias you know it, it is yeah. looking at the evidence available and then obviously like extrapolating it unfairly in, and also, in your favor this is, to, this you know, is to a place, your argument and, yeah exactly and it's a place where people actually died other people died so yeah the skeletons could belong yeah. to any, any yeah. anybody, and, and you know, like stuff like DB Cooper. I guess it's it's quite anodyne. I guess you're know, like um, discussing, you know, the identity of this fella because you know he wasn't a Jack the Ripper. You know, he wasn't a serial killer. He wasn't, you know, from obviously from what we know of the evidence that we know is certain, he didn't kill anyone. He didn't maim anyone. No, no. you know, obviously he committed a very grievous uh, grievous crime, you know, in this story. But at the end of the day, you know. Nobody got hurt, I guess. No, physically, no. you know, I, no. I can't really say for like the the psychological yeah um, and... impact that this took, but um, you know, it seems as if you know it's it's a quite a an anodyne story. Um, yeah. So you know, when you sort of like romanticize it, it doesn't seem that bad. And you know, when, when I was like reading up on the story, I I was almost thinking of like, wow, I, I could write a really interesting you know book about this. You know, obviously like fictionalized elements, but it seems quite fun, isn't it? Almost like adventurous, and, and, exactly. I, and that's why people like this story. I think. Exactly, exactly. And Cooper has been written about in so much different forms of media. In the yeah. example, we talk about Loki. You know, it's like some it's like a Marvel Universe's version of. Who do you think DB Cooper was? And obviously, kind of Marvel thing, but like, mm. there's also a film about DB Cooper with Robert yeah. Duvall, and it's about DB Cooper just mm. after he done the hijacking. Well, well the, um, one. the uh, the Heisenberg sketch in Breaking Bad was influenced yeah. by, uh, by yeah. DB Cooper, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, there's like DB Cooper restaurants and bars in the, in America, <laughs> and pe- people see him, people see him as like an outlaw, and people do love out- outlaws because. You know the, the outlaws in like westerns and all that. Like people are fascinated by, um, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, Billy the Kid, and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, would you say people almost 
think of D.B. Cooper in the same vein as Robin Hood? Because I, I know, you know, Robin Hood um, famously sort of, you know, stole from the rich to give to the poor. Um, obviously, it's a myth. We don't know whether he existed or not. But um, with D.B. Cooper, obviously, there's no evidence that he gave back any of this money, you know. No, like, no. Uh, any sort of altruistic sort of, like, um, means. But it's very, you know, it's the sense of danger, isn't it? And, like, it, romanticism. Yeah, as yeah, said. Yeah. yeah. And it's also people see him as a hero the way people saw Robin Hood as a hero. As well, like I feel like people obviously given which taken from the rich gives to the poor, but also is he's he's a hero because he actually done he did what some people actually love to do and give a middle finger up to the establishment. Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah, and he took two hundred grand from you know the American the American kind of commercial airlines and you know and you know these these people. Uh, obviously, have a lot of money and stuff like that. His company has mm. so much money, and, and it could be like some sort of exploitation and all that. So, you know, people would be like, okay, yeah, but he's done and, a big fu to democracy. And I think capitalism. a lot of people sort of like the idea that um, they, they admire, you know, the sort of like the, the ballsy element of it that you know, he yeah. He dared himself to do something like this yeah, and managed yeah. to get away scot free. Yeah, if he didn't yeah. get away, then he would just be like the the man that. Try to yeah. try to, yeah. So yeah. I got I got a question, right? Do you believe that um, the official line I think with the FBI was that due to or like the the um, the inclement weather and you know like maybe his, his lack of knowledge of like the area you would have landed in, they don't think that he would have survived whoever DB Cooper was. But do you personally think that he managed to get away with the money? You know, like he managed to land safely and get away with it. Um. Well, apparently they did find like a parachute in. Yeah, in, in and they the found um, some they of the never, money as well, didn't they? Yeah, but they never found the body. No. And but I mean, I think he what he did was he went into the wilderness, into like the American wilderness, and it's kind of like suicide on the way. It's like okay, you're gonna go in, but then people are gonna be looking and feeling like, oh, he's dead. There's no way he can survive yeah. that. Yeah. But I think he did that on purpose, yeah. just to like. Obviously, and obviously, you know, if you're in the wilderness, it's going to be a lot more harder to find you, really. Yeah. Um, so you I think he, he purposefully planted the parachute to, to, to show that he's, so, oh, you know, he's, he's dead? I think do you, so. Do you think? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I know, think that's that's very plausible. Also, I, this, I think that's a possibility. This is yeah. this is the wilderness where like bears and, and other animals can like, you know, kill you and eat you and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> the idea the body's not there, you know. Um, that's, that's that's true, yeah. Hmm. But but there would be, you know, there would be evidence, I guess. You know, there there would be, um, yeah, you know, animals would eat you, but you know, he, he wore a suit and it's it's non digestible. Yeah, wore, exactly. Yeah, and, shoes, um, didn't he? and yeah, you know, it's it's. I I I think that I I, I think and obviously there's no evidence for it. I don't think that he managed to like you know landed, brushed himself off and just walked out and just like lived his life quietly. Yeah, uh exactly. I, and... I, I I want to I want to think that he did. And I, I I've truly bought into the, the the whole romantic element of it. I don't know why. I, I can I like the idea that he did. And this and this guy he's 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 definitely smart. Uh, you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's, yeah. he's not gonna go around buying expensive stuff and then kind of no. raise questions. It's like no. yeah. man, can imagine he lived in like a log cabin in like yeah. this look in like Washington Wilderness and then yeah. he's got like a 
like an Aston Martin, people are like, right, okay, this exactly. guy lives in a lock cafe. Yeah. No, no, people way. are gonna like look at one Aston side. Like, yeah, yeah. Imagine, like, they look in the yeah. paper and they see, oh, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, you know, stolen in a, in a hijacking, and they look yeah. at like, yeah, this new Aston Martin and this. Yeah, he's not. Like, he's not gonna walk. Suit. Yeah, he's not gonna walk into a casino and be like, okay, two hundred thousand no. dollars no. on red. I mean, and he's like, right, this, okay. this would be a very intelligent man who would continue working like a menial job or like something, you know, but he would be comfortable, wouldn't he? He yeah. obviously wouldn't have to aspire no, to anything no. because he's set no. now. I, you know, no. obviously maybe he invested, you know, quietly or maybe he laundered some of that money. But yeah, it, it would have been quiet and he would have gone about his business. I think, or he would have changed his appearance. You know, you know, it's still in the seventies. It was still quite easy back in that. You know, at that yeah, time and, sort of and he took to enough vanish. money to him to be, as you said, fulfilled. Like he wouldn't have to do another hijacking. Exactly. As yeah. Well, yeah, and, he, and, and I think. Uh, some people and, like the the criminal elements of um, they do it, and if they manage to get away, they like the thrill of doing it. They do and it again. They, yeah, they do it again. Do it again, and then they get yeah. caught. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's sort of like the, the gambling element, isn't it? They, yeah, they love yeah. the sense of, of rolling the dice, and when it comes, and when their number comes up, the the thrill is unbelievable, isn't it? Mm, but yeah, I think exactly. with him, he just said he called it quits. Hat was happy with his haul. And just decided, like, I'm done now. And and even you know, seeing like the newspaper articles about himself, maybe he did like smile. You know, it's like just a, a quiet smile to himself. You know, like hey, it's you know, he was. and also he's not going to you know, if he ever raises, if he ever has a family, he's not going to have like you know his like uniform like hang up somewhere. He's gonna get, he's gonna, he's, <laughs> yeah. gonna, he's gonna burn it and like destroy it. He's not yeah. gonna have two hundred thousand pounds lying around. So. The only thing that, you know, the only thing, he's not going to, like, obviously show that, oh, yeah, I can parachute. Like, oh, yeah, you should have Exactly, you know, yeah. Parachute, or, you know, like, I love flying planes. Like, he's going to be, like, to me, I'd be the type of person to, like, I don't know, break my leg just so if I am, <laughs> if, if someone ever came up to me and be like, oh, you D.B. Cooper, I'd be like, right, okay, my leg's broken. You know, like, how, how am I going to, yeah. power- you know, and just mm. come up with some but, fake. But, but, but that's the thing. He's very, obviously very intelligent, as we said. Yeah, so yeah. He's not going to mention that. You know, oh, he was just, he was in the war. A lot of people didn't like to talk about the war. No, so a lot of people were people, in the war. You know, it doesn't mean everyone's guilty. No, no but know, a lot of people like, exactly, didn't like to talk yeah. about it, did they? Yeah. You just yeah. say, oh, I was in the war. And, and that's yeah. it. You know, you, you don't press someone for, for details. You know, and maybe, yeah, he was a very, um, a very um, adept uh, parachutist. Mm. You know, but that's it. You know, and you get these sort of, you know, like these uh, wannabe or sort of like copycat sort of like people who, you know, even if they were sh- sort of trained in parachute, um, you know, they, they were they were able to parachute, you know, and they'll want to be this sort of like this the mystique they want to en- enamor themselves with the mystique of DB Cooper. I don't think that, uh, you know the actual fella would have done that. Also, because he would have diverted attention away from himself. Also, uh, he acted alone. So, yeah. if you perform this with someone else, then you are kind of shooting mm. yourself in the foot with this. Because is that if that is that you know you can kind of control what you do with the money. Exactly. Can you control yeah. what happens? Yeah. And yeah. remember, what, remember watching Goodfellas, and they performed the that really famous bank heist. Yeah. And what happens then is like all the other people start like buying expensive stuff like cars yeah, and, yeah. and then and then like uh Robert De Niro's character is like what are you doing like why are you you know you well, but, but that's the that thing. stuff because you're giving yeah. yourself away like but I think it's 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 quite um human to do that because it, it yeah. is the sort of work hard play hard isn't yeah, it like yeah. you work 
for yeah. something very yeah. hard and then when it pays off you want to celebrate isn't it and that's natural but i think yeah either uh i mean at tops it was like probably like two or three people i think in this but then again you know a conspiracy like the the larger it gets the harder it is to maintain yeah and to keep, yeah to keep quiet isn't it and, and so i think i i want to say that you want to you worked alone yeah, and again, if he had an accomplice, he would have crested a much more specific flight path while on the same flight. And yeah, just probably. Jumping yeah. out of his busiest plot. Because then you're like, okay, I'm going to have to like make sure my accomplice is safe. You know, but too fat. He could have been one of those, you know, you wouldn't give a shit if your accomplice was safe because, you know, no, yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they're dead, then that's, you know, then that's them off off uh, your back. But then they've also, if they went to the feds or they went into a bar and said, oh, I'm D.B. Cooper, but just, you know, I've got a hundred grand on it. My accomplice lives in like a hut down the road. Then people can be like, <laughs> right, okay, you know. And, you know, it, it people blab. People like... Yeah, something people like, fishy's going on here. <laughs> people, people like to be... Uh, like to have a little thrill and sometimes people are really boring lives and they just realize okay if i just make up that i'm like you know db cooper or yeah you well, know... people want to be part of the news don't they it's exactly. like um and you know the valleys is, is still quite like close-knit i think i want to say so any sort of like big sort of like drama that happens you know here everybody knows it like yeah, in a few yeah, hours you know yeah and i think obviously it's helped by uh social media but it's always been like that, you know, like people thrive on drama and because gossiping is a social interaction. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, these people who basically said I'm DB Cooper on the deathbed, like they obviously, they say that because they, it's like, oh, I got nothing. I haven't really done much in my life. I just want to be remembered for something. Even it's almost stolen valor, isn't it? It is stolen valor. You know? Yeah. But, um, I mean, like, uh, if I had a really like macabre sense of humor, and I, I was at around the time that, you know, the D.B. Cooper heist happened. If I was on my deathbed, I would just say it just for shits and giggles, for a laugh. Because, you know, can you imagine? You're squeaky clean, and then you just say on your deathbed, yeah, yeah, it turns out, yeah, I was D.B. Cooper. And then people are, you can imagine, when, you know, like, you're, you can nod off then quietly with a smile on your face. Everyone going, what? DB Cooper. That's the thing. It that's the thing. That's the, and that's what makes it so interesting because DB Cooper could be anybody. It couldn't. You know, this isn't like um, Cluedo, it, it, and it's like way, oh, and, and it's like is all of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, it could be. Yeah, it could be a thing. It could be anybody. You know, like it's not. They're not confined to a specific group or like, you know, restricted to a specific mm. group where you realize, okay, this person who lives, you know. No, this person who doesn't fly a plane, you obviously they're not gonna doesn't like be on going on planes. He's not DB Cooper, is he? Um, mm. But a lot, you know, a lot of people fly on planes. Some people don't like flying. I don't think you would get somebody who doesn't like flying to be, you know, who's DB Cooper. Um, uh, FBI Special Agent Larry Card, two thousand seven, said no experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain. With 200 mile an hour wind in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. So, you got idea maybe DB Cooper probably thought, oh, if I maybe he didn't think it actually would survive. I don't know. Maybe he thought, oh, this is like a maybe I maybe not survived this. If I yeah. if I got the money and well, parachutes, um, and didn't anybody. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a sec. One sec. Yeah. Let me put it on. One sec. Okay. Um, I mean, the authorities would want to say that, you know, there's no way this fella survived. 
and they want to say about all the issues involving you know how say improbable that they would survive yeah as you said what they were wearing the inclement weather you know the very bad conditions for parachuting and also coming in the wilderness um it, it is because um they don't want um you know another person trying to do this if they think that it's yeah. that easy yeah if if someone has in their mind oh i want to do that but they're reminded of all the the um perils involved maybe they'll think twice and that's i think that's what you know the fbi was thinking look look we've got to damage control this let's solve this but let's reduce the amount of copycats we got now because people are emboldened at how quote unquote easy this was to get back at us you know it's do you agree or you know you're free to disagree, yeah right? yeah I just no, think I, I agree. they try and damage and, control you know? and and also the feds the federal aid, uh, agents and the fbi federal fbi would be more like okay we need to see we are actually trying to cut no folk no really focus on solving this otherwise it will inspire copycats yeah um you know but and that's what there was a fear after jack the river's crimes that you know Whitechapel or West London and UK would see kind of copy, copycat Jack the Ripper yeah. uh, killings. And, yeah, know, they, they, there was one, the Yorkshire Ripper. You know, that's a uh, that hadn't happened till a uh, hundred years later. Yeah, um, I, I think to be fair, though, like the media did, um, uh, yeah, dubbed him that. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. Um, got one more person that was a big suspect. Um, and that was Sheridan Peterson. So Sheridan Peterson died at the age of 94 in January 2021, never having confessed to being D.B. Cooper. Have you seen the similarities of all these guys? They're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Aren't they? So you couldn't take them to trial now and have them word being like, okay, you're D.B. Cooper. Well, I mean, to be fair, Sheridan Peterson did die in 2021. Yeah, but you couldn't... I'm, not... I'm saying like now. Basically. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like now, going on, you can't like get yeah. any of them. You and the idea about the people, you know, DB Cooper is 40, this is 50 years old, he's gonna be 90. You know, that's true, yeah. Going to 100, he's not, he's not gonna have a long lifespan left. Um, he never had a confess to being DB Cooper, but often noted that the FBI had good reasons to suspect him due to numerous coincidental circumstances. He seemed to enjoy notoriety, appearing in interviews on the case for TV documentaries when asked. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, some band of guys decides, oh, I'm going to come on the um, interview for the case for TV documentaries. So his past history in the Marine Corps and work with airplane manufacturer Boeing made investigator Eric Ulis 98% convinced it was him. Peterson even appeared in a demonstration leaflet for Skydiver Bowen in a similar outfit used by D.B. Cooper. Now, I think this is a taking the piss now, to be honest. Hmm. Like, he's definitely somebody, he sounds like somebody who literally wants people to be D.B. Cooper just to maybe troll them. Because, I mean, you're dressing up in an outfit similar to D.B. Cooper for a skydiving demonstration. It's a bit like, but again, it's just like the skydiving company wanting to kind of jump on the bandwagon of the kind of, you know, the D.B. Cooper, you know, kind of fascination, romantic, romantic you know, kind of the pop culture of D.B. Cooper. Um, in a different turn to the other lead suspect, Peterson lived an unassuming life, but made no secret of his love for adrenaline-filled adventures. 
even being a practice smoke jumper. So a specialist firefighter who sent into situations via parachute. Oh, well. This would explain his ability to survive the less than ideal jumping weather at the time of the Cooper incident. And they um, they are parachuted into wild land, says yeah. yeah. So, like, the area which he would have jumped into. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So, so, according to Ulis, Peterson was someone who deeply cared for those less fortunate, aided in establishing freedom schools in the South during the civil rights movement and assisting refugees during the Vietnam War. In a statement to Oregon Live following Peterson's death, Ulis said, whatever Sheridan Peterson was D.B. Cooper or not, may suggest that he more than atoned for his life's failings. Okay. Um, this money establishing freedom schools in the South and assisting refugees, is this money that he, if he was D.B. Cooper, wouldn't, would he use the money to fund this? No. Yeah. The thing is, though, like, he, if you use that money to kind of give the charity and stuff, it's gonna be a little harder for like the FBI to be like, okay, this guy is a criminal because people are like, how can you say that? He gives his money to charity and stuff like that, you know. But they're trying to make it. That's one thing you can just do, just to make yourself to get taken off the kind of watch list. It's like you know, be a kind of hero of the people, you know, being the being the good man. Like to, you use that money to give the charity. Hmm. Um, I want to talk about quickly uh, about the the 1980 the 1980 discovery. So uh, in 1980, a child discovery reignited mystery um, in the, interest in the mystery. So remember, talk about the Ingram couple who found yeah, that yeah. money. So um, so. In 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was digging in the sand on the banks. So this is their child on the banks of Washington's Columbia River when he found a bundle of rotten $20 bills totaling $5,800. When his parents contacted the police, they learned the serial numbers on the cash matched those from the dash given to D.B. Cooper. Aside from the few items left behind on the plane, there is the only, this is the only material evidence found from the hijacking. Six years after he discovered the money, Ingram was allowed to keep $2,760 um, $1, of it. In 2008, he sold 15 of the fragmented $20 bills at auction for 37433 pence. So this is the biggest kind of evidence that Diva Cooper was here. And that's why with Dan... There is the Dick Briggs guy. Some people, you know, this is why uh, uh, Ben Carlson was like, okay, this guy is D.B. Cooper because he knew where his money was. Now, this money could just be, well, I don't know where it was kept somewhere, just like, you know, kind of in case he needed to come and retrieve the money, or was it money that he lost when he parachuted? Um, basically, gave, gave up trying to find. Never know. So this, but this is like the main kind of like, I would say this was the biggest kind of like next step, the biggest kind of breakthrough in the in the mystery of who DB Cooper was. But then again, you don't know who it is. You just found you just found part of the money. You don't know where the rest of it went. You don't know who found it, etc. You just got you know a young boy finding 
that couple of thousands in uh in the river so but you can see why this is very much lack of who they actually thought it could be mm. um but it's very interesting and then but then that's why people come up with the kind of answers like oh maybe he didn't survive because there's never we don't know who it is there's never any substantial evidence of, of who they think it is it's um yeah he he jumped into difficult terrain he didn't he was clever about it about everything he did um and yeah they, they even said that they even said that um he did believe he did leave a few traces behind though including some cigarette butts a hair on the headdress of his seat and a clip-on necktie which he tore from his collar before hurling himself in the plane Unfortunately, the FBI could not get any fingerprints from the items. Mm. So, pretty much, they were kind of they were restricted by the, the te- technology of their time. Yeah, I mean, um, they tried to like analyze DNA from the uh, the tie, and that uh, Sheridan Peterson apparently it wasn't a match with his uh, DNA. But but then again, it, this was from um, a show called. Uh, history's greatest mysteries. So you know, take from that what you will. You got, you got to like, yeah, you got to like, kind of, um, really, really, kind of like, you know, don't look at the accuracies of those because they're, they're entertainment first, they're rather than accuracy. Yeah. You know, like exactly. Ancient, ancient yeah, aliens. Yeah. It's really entertainment before yeah. kind of like scientific yeah. accuracy. Yeah. Using an analysis of this um, art, this this pot from 5,000 years ago, we can't say for certain that the aliens were around, but it's still a certainty. It's, it's still a possibility. <laughs> yeah, that, that's ancient aliens. Yeah, ancient. that's the thing. It's, 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 it's an entertainment first thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's jumping on the bandwagon of like conspiracy theories, but there's no, you know... Yeah, aliens did it. Yeah, and then it becomes... Well, a lot of these conspiracy theories, especially being written about, is, is very much uh, Chinese whispers. Hmm. And you know, like Chinese whispers, like someone will say something and then get yeah. changed, he's get changed over yeah. if it, when he goes to like the twentieth person example. So you know, and that twentieth person yeah. could just be well, the author. It, yeah, it's hearsay, isn't it? Like details yeah. are yeah. lost, details are embarrassed. Yeah, I know yeah, somebody yeah. who who knows somebody 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 that yeah. is DB Cooper. You know, it's like it's like okay, well, it's, it's how like most like yeah, you know, legends start. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that makes a question of people basically thinking, did D.B. Cooper survive his jump on the plane? Where did D.B. come from? It was apparently a myth created by the press. Um, you know, well, D.B. came from the myth from the press. Um, Dan Cooper was just like a, a normal name. Well, it was a pseudonym, wasn't it? It wasn't pseudonym, his real yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Why would he common, give his real name? It's quite a common name as well, Yeah, Dan Cooper especially in america yeah it throws um, people off yeah yeah it was like dan yeah. what was it daniel you know it was danny you know it's, it's yeah people look too much into it honestly like they, they, exactly. they look into dan cooper as yeah. if that has any meaning whatsoever and of course it doesn't it's a throwaway name which he used to throw people like you off isn't it yeah it's the mystique though it's like it's the fact that it <sighs> db cooper's identity is a known unknown we know that yeah. he was someone, and we know yeah. that we don't know him. Yeah, exactly. 
and he, um, you know, did he did he manage to get away? You know, I as I said personally, I think that he did get away. But um, I think he did. I think uh, yeah. You know, I I can't say definitively why that is, but it's I just the, think the, that, the argument yeah. that he didn't get away and died is very. There's because they would have found a lot more of the money if he died. They would have found the body. Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. he, and I mean, they they found the the the, the kind of the parachute quite quickly. So mm. you would have thought that like they would have found the body quite yeah. quickly as well. Well, you know, like who's like so oh, I, I was trying to think like who knows what was in the briefcase but apparently it was the bomb wasn't it he showed um the flight attendant that oh he was like a couple of wires and some like red sort of like um yeah cyl- cylindrical objects which yeah you know it i i imagine like the stereotypical like cartoonish like looney tunes like dynamite with a couple of wires yeah. sticking out of it that's what i'm thinking of um and again, you know, I hope that he did survive and, like, you know, live out his life, you know, successfully, like, did this heist. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it makes the story even better, isn't it? That he managed to get away with it. And, like, it's inspired some really fun artwork, actually. Like, you type in um, uh, D.B. Cooper on Google and you'll get some, like, these very talented artists, like, depicting him jumping out of the plane. You know, in like the sort of like the suit, and he, and in some of them, he's still wearing his glasses, even though you know he, he probably wasn't wearing his glasses as shades, because I think he did it at night, doesn't he? That he jumped in the night, I think he was. Yeah, it um, was. It was. Yeah, but it, it's yeah. it's fun, anyways. It's very inspired artwork. Um, yeah, but people believe is I think also people believe he's alive because they want to believe that this guy's alive. Like this guy stole two hundred thousand pounds from. Yeah. You know, from a company. Yeah. And got, yeah. if he didn't get away with, if he died while, while yeah. parachuting, well, well, then it's kind of like ruins it. So people want to kind of well, make well, that. We've, um, we've been brought up, haven't we, on the sort of like idea of like the happy ending in like a movie, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like the character, you know, he, he, he put all his effort in and as a reward, he gets to sort of live out his life, you know, uh, you know as I said, a happy ending. Um, I mean, one of the most tacked on sort of like endings to a film I can think of is The Dark Knight Rises. You know, you see sort of like Bruce Wayne living like a happy life with Selena Kyle, like right you know, at the end. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people very divisive on that, on yeah. that quick scene. I, I mean, I, I've probably um, I've told you this before, but like had I been there, I would have told Nolan straight or just told like it was probably the producer that wanted that actually. Yeah, they but, did, um, yeah. I would have just said, like, you know, maybe even just show, like, Alfred, he sits down, and then he looks across, and, like, I don't know, almost like an Inception thing, where you think he's just about to smile, but it cuts off what they could, What they could have done is, I reckon, they could have just had maybe the statue of Batman, and then have someone walking up to it. Like, it could have been anybody. Just have, like, the back of somebody, and you don't know if it's Bruce Wayne or not. Well, and... well... Yeah, because the idea was that Batman wasn't Bruce Wayne. Batman was anybody that yeah, wanted exactly. to, to embody the ideals of Batman. Exactly. That, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but uh, I, I digress. Um, so you know, I I do want this sort of like happy ending for DB Cooper, whoever he was, because it it fulfills my romantic sort of idea of like this this heist. Um, but also because it's you know, I don't think he was to a bad person you know this isn't the most ideal of actions you know i mean i don't think you know like anybody would consider him oh this was a good act you know but neither was it like wholly evil 
even the stewardess was like in afterwards, like he actually was just polite, so it kind of made the situation less yeah tense. And... You know, had he had a gun or had yeah, he yeah. Uh, you know tortured the cabin crew or like you know, yeah yeah it'd be different know, yeah or or he was, you know deranged. To, I don't to think everyone. he would have been as fate as kind of popular. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, but the fact that even though he managed to maintain like a modicum of sort of like um, respect, um, that's only increased his mystique. Because now yeah. you're wondering who, like, who, who is it? He, he almost like he's dignified. He's like a gentleman thief. Yeah, isn't it? You know, it's it's emboldened, emboldened. It's enhanced his mystique and his legend. You know, maybe, maybe he. Maybe he he did enjoy the allure that his own myth and legend made him, even though he'd never admit it. Maybe he did enjoy it. Well, you know, but, but then again, why not? You know, he, he didn't hurt anyone really. I would, again, I would... obviously psychological for some people, it might have been very uh, harmful. But also, I would be happy if if I saw the news and people were. If I was Deepa Cooper and saw the news and people were taking credit, because then it's like, okay, if they take. Well, I'll I'll be happy to take credit because then the they're being focused on by the authorities, not me. Yeah, like, you know. What if, right? Um, so the uh, let me just check before I go on a massive rabbit hole. Um, right. So uh, a year after this, right? They they were in the middle of doing it, but a year after the actual DB Cooper heist in '72, they implemented the Sky Marshal program. Yeah. So, again, let me just make sure my tinfoil hat is secure on my head. So, what if, right, hear me out, the whole thing was a government setup to to make people think that, like, oh, this is a reason that we're going to put Sky Marshals in this sort of, like, flight for, in, like, flights forever. Or they just wanted to... Um, to experiment and see how easy it was for someone to do something like this. Honestly, looking at this time period, the seventies and eighties, yeah. it would not surprise me. Yeah, because you know <laughs> people believe this that the, the, the sinking of of the the U.S. military ship um, off the kind of coast of uh, North Vietnam. People believe that the American government sabotaged it and blamed the North Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, MVA. So for a reason for America to invade. Um, you know, there's the ideas about um CIA basically. Yeah. What, what if it was just an experiment though? It's just like the government just wanted to do it just to test the airline to see like how security was. But then it it became like it it, it got out of control and it became like a massive story and people still are looking into it and thinking like, oh, this is this great legend. This this thief managed to steal money. But then what well, do you reckon? The, well, so do you reckon the government got the money back? Yeah, they recovered it. Oh, that's that'd be interesting. That's interesting. I never thought about that. It is a possibility, but again, you know, like let me. Well, no one was no no. That's the thing. No one was hurt. Yeah, uh, nothing went wrong because if, if if you know if someone started shooting, uh, killing cabin crew then it'd be different and obviously the American government do that just for the sake of testing out a new piece of of uh, security equipment you know it's um it's as that's interesting and yeah and 
that, that, that can't be maybe could, there could be some someone down in the wilderness who basically we yeah. put a rendezvous with and yeah. he had the money over yeah. and maybe I mean, personally i'm playing devil's advocate you know i don't think that happened but I, it you know it could be a possibility but i think personally db cooper was a thief i think he was just a man that was just super ballsy about all this yeah uh but again, go back to your point. Now you're up in the can of worms now, and I want to kind of dig into it. Um, I, um, I would, you know, maybe that could be the truth. But if they came out and said, "Hold on, DB Cooper was just," you know, if this, all this was just kind of like a, a little test. Then I think the American people would kind of lose more, like a lot of exactly. faith in the government. Yeah. Well, they if they, if they've anyway. lied about this, what else have they lied about? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and then you know, the American. American people already have no faith in their government right now. No, so yeah, you know, yeah. just adding to it. Um and there's no need. Like why would why do the American people need to know who DB Cooper is? It's, it's, it's like why? It, it's not like and it's a fascinating nation thing, but like it doesn't it's not something that will you know cause a groundbreaking in you know American history. You know exactly, I mean? yeah. Well, it's well, just let's like... let's just say if they definitively find out, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter how, but let's just say they they managed to prove definitively that um Joe Bloggs, you know, a random fella was D B Cooper. It's not a massive paradigm no, shift. No, is it? no, 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 no. And I bet if if someone came out and said, you know, this guy, well this guy came out and said, "Oh, I, you know, I killed Princess Diana." I think you have a lot of people who would be like, "Oh, yeah, we probably knew about that." You know, yeah, yeah. People accept yeah. it, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's still it fairly, re- in fairly the, recent. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. If it was like recent, but, but I mean, that's not that, like that, 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 that's still actually, in the. Nice. Um, it's not in the zeitgeist anymore. No, no, it? that's probably a really not not a great example. I think the better example in my case is actually JFK. People would be like, "Oh, I, I was hired by the CIA to kill JFK." And yeah, the American people would be like, "Oh yeah, we knew about that." Like mm. it's just common yeah. sense. Whilst yeah. Diane's what, but they won't do Diane's what because it's so recent. Hmm. Same yeah. with DB Cooper. If someone came out and said, "Actually, I'm DB Cooper," you know, I yeah. this is all the money I've got. And I mean, like the people tabloids like, oh, okay. would think, you know, oh, this is actually quite a good story. But yeah, give it a give it a week, and no one will give a shit, will they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I I want the the mystique and like the the mystery to remain. Yeah, I think I think the truth would be boring. You know, I, you know, even if he did survive, I think it'd be boring because oh, you know, it turns out yeah, he he lived a boring life and he was happy. You know, he was content. Nothing else happened. You know, but, but yeah, I wouldn't want to ponder what happened. That's, I wouldn't base I wouldn't base my life on trying to find who DB Cooper is, and then yeah. I find out and it's literally just the most boring kind of exactly. Life yeah, thing. but people will do that. You know, with yeah. with a lot of these sort of like conspiracy theories, you know, they will go overboard and they will get mm. um, obsessive. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to become like Charlie Day without a massive conspiracy wall anytime soon. Yeah. So. So I want to talk about how kind of the aftermath of the DB Cooper event and how it yeah. kind of changed, helped change the aviation industry in America. So it was a saga of Cooper that captured the imagination of the American public and helped transform the perception of the overall threat hijacking posed, hijackings posed to U.S. air travel and national security. In response to the spat of more violent and costly hijackings, the U.S. government established the first anti-hijacking security protocols 
Most of them aim to prevent hijackers from getting on aircraft in the first place. The measures included a hijacker profile, metal detectors, and x-ray machines. So the idea is they've got an idea of maybe this is what a hijacker would look like if someone comes along and looks like that. You know, that's a bit, they're best, no, they're sus, really. Um, in the wake of the hijacking, the Federal Aviation Administration ordered that Cooper vans, named after D.B. Cooper, must be stored in all Boeing 727 aircraft. So a Cooper vane um, is a small latch fitted to the outside of planes with real stairs. The latch prevents anyone from opening the door mid-flight, just as D.B. Cooper did as leading to the air managed into obscurity. Um, the protocols put in place in the 1970s also laid the foundation for the expansive security measures taken after 9-11. A series of court cases upheld the constitution, cons, uh, constitutionality of these early measures. For example, United States versus Lopez decided in 1971 upheld the use of the hijacker profile. So you had a lot of these kind of like court trials coming in, legislations coming in after this. And most importantly, in the United States versus Epperson, a federal court ruled in 1972 that the government's interest in preventing hijackings justified the requirement for passengers to pass through a magnetometer, a magnetometer at the airport. And in 1973, the Ninth Circuit Court in the United States versus Davis declared that the government's need to protect passengers from hijackers rendered all searches of passengers for weapons and explosives as reasonable and legal. These rulings upholding early anti-hijacking measures helped create the strong legal grounds for the rapid adoption of the more, more rigorous security protocols, including detailed identification checks, random pat-downs, and full-body scans adopted after 1971. In summary, D.B. Cooper is one of the reasons why you are being forced to per, to carry 100 milliliter things into a <laughs> into airports mm. on planes i mean they, so, they're going to change that pretty soon they are they are but like um but a lot of people think it's just, it was 9 11 but mm. i think 9 did play a role in how does airport security but i think db cooper kind of started laying the foundations for that yeah because the american government realized that we can't keep you know letting these hijackers kind of get in easily and yeah. pose a threat to life and take a lot of money um, I mean, the US government's already in trillions of debt, so <laughs> there won't be any more trillions mm. of debt. And um, and they, they put it down, it's, it's safety of the passengers. And, you know, that's what they do to, like, you know, get support of the people. People don't like it. People feel like, oh, my God, like, you know, let's get on the flight, 10-minute flight, or am I being searched like, I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, some sort of terrorist? But they're doing it because they've got to be careful, because... Um, they don't anything, you know, anything like this to happen again. And same thing with nine eleven. Like it, it really nine eleven really changed America. And you look at not just air, how nine eleven changed the aircraft airline industry, but how it changed, like you know, um, the American society's views on Muslims and you know, um, you know, kind of like uh, privacy, computer privacy, and and all that. It's really changed everything. But that's a that's a discussion for another episode in, in another time. But it's really interesting how this one man who basically just you know got on the flight, had a bourbon, a couple of bourbons of soda, took um a briefcase full of money and took some parachutes 
and fled and basically, you know, changed how that basically changed the aviation industry in America forever. It's really fascinating. You see that, oh, yeah. this is just, you can see this in the vein of this is one of one guy basically doing the heist. But no, it's a lot more than that. It's really about like how he, his kind of what he did, kind of that event. It really just changed quite a lot. And that's why I look in, it's all into the context, it's all the context of hijackings in America on American planes. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, this isn't just typical go around, go around into, into a shop and steal a pack of sweets and go. That's not going to change, <laughs> you know, British society or American society, but somebody like this would. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, and, and you know, we do these cases of conspiracy episodes and, read a lot more into it in preparation you just it just becomes so fascinating you just learn a lot, lot more a lot more and you think that like oh this is just a typical you know hijacking but no it's a lot more than that it really fundamentally in a way changed american society and became one of the biggest pop culture conspiracy theories in history you know alongside jfk yeah. the moon landing and all that it's it is fascinating. Mm. And, you know, we... Oh, sorry. Yawning. Um, we don't... We, we will not get a sort of like a definitive answer. No. But, you know, no. I, I think it's it's not about that, is it? It's a, it's a journey, not a destination. I think it's, it is like discussing and delving into it. You know, it's, you won't find the bottom of it. It is just so deep and, and knowable. Yeah, I think. yeah. And, and, and you can't really make a... Like a, you know, do a... Do an episode on this, or make write a book and publish it, and be like, "This is this this is the definitive truth." It's not mm. because what do you mean? So, if that why do you believe that's the definitive truth? It's yeah. not like, and you don't you don't want to just cram down people's throats that this is the actual truth because it's not. People mm. obviously have their own opinions and perceptions of what of 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 all this. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's fun, isn't it? I think it, yeah. it, will, it will, will remain fun. And, you know, I think people will, you know, obviously the people who are interested in this will will cont- continue to sort of discuss who they think, you know, the person was or you know, what, who was really behind it as, you know, these really mad conspiracies I've come up with today. Um, but, you know, they, they are, that's, that's what they are. You know, they're, they're conspiracy theories and they're, they're really fun to, to discuss and explore. Yeah. I think that's a good. I think that's a good uh, wrap up point. Yeah, just, just from that. So, thank you everybody for listening. Um, if it's, if there's any conspiracy cases of conspiracy you want us to cover, uh, this, you know, we talk about uh, conspiracy theories like DB Cooper, but we also talk about true crime as well. Like um, one of our previous episodes, we talked about uh, Dennis Dennis Nielsen, um, the Pembrokeshire murders. So we we're trying to cover quite a lot of stuff. It doesn't have to be conspiracy theory related, as I said. But uh, if you have any uh, requests, please do let us know. Uh, we'll try and have a lot more of these uh, pumped out throughout the throughout the year. Could we enjoy talking about them? It's, it's a bit it's a bit different, you know, compared to the typical movie talk and TV talk we do. Um, but yeah, that wraps up. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, next week we're going to be on uh, a week well on a week hiatus because we are going on a another podcast as a way of kind of know getting publicity for them but also publicity for us so that will be we'll share a link to that in a in a post 
when that comes out. And then after that, we'll be uh, either reviewing Ant-Man Quantumania first or we're going to be reviewing uh, Indiana Jones and the, La- and the Last Crusade first. But um, yeah, Ant-Man's coming out soon. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's uh, your conspiracy theorist, Reese Bolton, Reese Jones here. As I said, please like, share, follow, comment, uh, like, share, follow, and all of you if you enjoyed this episode. Also, um, this episode is, can be found on our link tree, and our link tree we have it can be it's on a lot of different platforms. So if you haven't got Spotify, you can watch us on Overcast. If you haven't got Overcast on Spotify, you can watch it on apple podcasts or in google podcasts uh we're also on uh, amazon music as well so and of course spotify that's our main one but uh but yeah thank you everybody for listening hope you enjoyed the episodes and we'll see you on the next Hoffy coffee cast well that wraps up another episode of the Hoffy coffee cast but before we end me and reese want to thank everyone for listening and if you enjoyed today's episode please be sure to like follow share and review in addition to tell your friends, family, and fellow nerds and coffee lovers about our content. We both enjoyed talking about these topics, and with your help, we can strive to be bigger and better and bring out much more to our fans and listeners. I'm your host, Reese Bolton. And I'm your host, Reese Jones. And we'll see you on the next Hoffee Coffee Cast. Take care and goodbye. Bye. <laughs>